Hey, do y'all remember when the devil invented the Rubik's Cube? Yeah, 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 me too. Hey, everybody, I want to welcome everybody on all of our campuses today. Man, we're glad you're with us. Those of you who are with us on the web, uh, glad you're with us as well. It's kind of awesome that God gives us this opportunity to be together like this. And man, we're glad we're all here today. We're starting a new series of messages today called How to Do What You Just Can't Do. And it's about leveraging spiritual power to accomplish things you will never get done with willpower or physical or emotional or intellectual strength. Now, we probably all know what it's like to be pushed up against a wall and fear that we just don't have the capacity to get through. But man, what if you could learn another way? What if you could find another way to actually do what you just can't do? Uh, my sister, uh, my, my Sarah's sister out in Montana is going through cancer treatments right now. Uh, she's been through surgery, chemo, radiation therapy, and now she's through all of that and she's kind of fighting her way back to health. But man, it's been tough and it's been discouraging. She's tired. She's weak. She remembers how great she felt when she was able to walk three miles a day. And man, she wants to get back to that discipline and, you know, back to that sense of well-being that comes with it. But she literally just doesn't have the strength and it's really discouraging her. She was talking with a wise, godly doctor last week about this frustration. And he asked her a question, nosy question. No Southern doctor would ever ask, what's what's your age? How old are you? And she knew he had that information, but she played along. She said, I'm 68. He said, how old are you on the inside? He sa- she said, 45. And he said, that's your problem. That's the problem with your healing. Your 45-year-old self is pushing your 68-year-old body to get with the program. And the truth is you've been too sedentary and too sick for too long. So this is how you're going to do it. He stood, pulled his iPhone out, walked over to the office door, opened it, walked out holding his phone. He said, you set your phone for five minutes, touch the phone, walked out of the office, out the reception desk, all the way out to the front door, and the alarm went off. He said, when you hear that alarm go off, you turn around and walk back home. And then he sat down with her and said, Becky, thousands of mitochondria in every cell in your body have been destroyed by chemo and radiation, and they only come back gradually, which is why you must not push anything. He said, you know James chapter 1 verse 2, right? And she nodded, though she didn't quote it, so he did. He said, it says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. He said, now the next verse is the one we forget. Let patience have its perfect work so that you will be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Let patience have its perfect work. He said, you understand what I'm trying to tell you about getting back into walking and all that? You walk five minutes today. Six minutes the next day, maybe seven minutes the day after that, if you're still feeling well. And that's how you're going to learn how to do what you cannot do in your own strength right now. Now, friends, here's the good news. Last night, Becky got out on the sidewalk in Montana. She walked two whole blocks before the alarm went off. And when the alarm went off, she turned around and walked back home. She emailed all of her sisters and said, you know, it hardly feels like it wasn't worth getting dressed for. But I'm listening. It's 40 degrees outside, breezy. Fresh air felt good. I'm learning. I'm on my way. Now, here's what I love about my 68-year-old sister-in-law. She is learning to do, she is learning that we can train to do something that no amount of trying will enable you to do right now. Listen to that. You can train to do something that no amount of trying will enable you to do it right now. If you want to press 
bench press 400 pounds, you know what, if you've never worked out before, you can try all day long. You ain't going to do it. But if you have two years to train, that's different. You know, we can find ourselves pushed up against cancer or debt or divorce or crazy kids or crazy supervisors or clients or habits or man, any number of things that we just don't have the you know, strength to handle on our own. And you know that because you've tried and you're frustrated and depressed because you've tried and tried and failed and failed. And now you think, dude, I'm just not sure this will even work for me. Well, friends, over these next few weeks, we're going to be talking about developing some spiritual assets by training that will enable you to do stuff you will never be able to do by trying. So let's get started today and talk about life-changing prayer. Now, we pick prayer first because it's a source of real frustration for a lot of followers of Christ. Man, in the book, The Life You've Always Wanted, which I would recommend everybody in this room read, it's awesome. Uh, There's a quote from Dallas Willard about the angst that we all kind of feel about prayer. He says, the idea that everything would happen exactly as it does regardless of whether we pray or not is a specter that haunts the minds of many who sincerely profess belief in God. That fear that no matter how hard you pray, it doesn't make any difference anyway. That's kind of that hidden fear that none of us talk about. He says that fear makes prayer psychologically impossible and replaces it with just a dead ritual at best. And you know what he's talking about, man. We tried the prayer before and it didn't work out just exactly the way I wanted it to work out. So now when I pray, if I pray, I just go through these motions without really expecting anything to happen. And friend, if that's you, <coughs> I want to suggest that maybe you have tried prayer, but you have never been trained to pray. And today we're going to start your training. That's why we call prayer a spiritual discipline. It's something you learn how to do, and by practice, you get better and better at it. So, turn with me in your Bible to 2 Kings 19. Who's got a Bible? Hold it up if you got one. Let me see who brought a Bible today. You got one? I don't care if it's on your phone, analog or digital. Good, good, good. You should always bring a Bible to church so you don't have to take the preacher's word for it. Amen? Amen. Now, I'm never going to lie to you, but I wouldn't trust the preacher, and you shouldn't either. You know what I'm just saying? Look for yourself, all right? 2 Kings chapter 19, there's a blue Bible in all of our worship centers. If you, if you don't have your Bible, grab that one. Turn to page 326, you'll be good to go. We're going to find a story that has inspired me to pray and actually trained me how to pray, especially in crisis mode, which is what this story is all about. This story is about a godly leader trying to find the power to do something he just cannot do in the midst of a life-threatening crisis. Now, I'm not going to read the whole story for you, but dude, you should. Man, this story starts in, in chapter 18 of 2 Kings when 25-year-old Hezekiah is crowned king of Israel. This young buck loves the Lord. He honors God as king for 29 straight years. He's one of the few great, good kings of Israel. Awesome story, awesome leader. But it says in uh, chapter 18, verse 13, in the 14th year of Hezekiah's reign, when he's 39 years old. Think about that, 39 In the 14th year of King Hezekiah's reign, Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, attacked all the fortified cities of Judah and captured them. Now, friends, in the 14th year of his reign, he is faced with an impossible situation. The king of Assyria just starts sweeping through that part of the world, militarily conquering country after country and city after city until he gets to Jerusalem where the temple of God stands. And King Hezekiah is the steward over all that stuff. And Sennacherib sends a field commander to Hezekiah saying, look, If you don't immediately and unconditionally surrender, I'm going to gut every man, woman, and child in this country. I'm going to gut them all. 
just so everybody else in the world will know that I'm not playing around. Just like, read it for yourself. Read it for yourself today. This would be just like if China decided that either they're going to take over New Zealand tomorrow or nuke it. Just so everybody in the world would know they're not playing. That's the level of threat. Now, when the messenger departs, he left a personal letter for King Hezekiah to read. And it's from Sennacherib to Hezekiah and basically says, don't even think about praying about this. Don't even think your God can protect you from the Assyrian army. Dude, you've got 24 hours to surrender. I'm going to kill every man, woman, and child in this country and burn this country to the ground. And Hezekiah was only 39 years old. But he knew that maniac had the troop strength to do what he was threatening because there was 185,000 soldiers positioned around his city. And he realized, my only hope is God. It is God or a massacre, period. There ain't no plan B, C, D that I can come up with. Either God steps in or it's, <coughs> it's lights out for everybody I know and love. Now, let's just hit the pause button for a second. Let me ask you, have you ever received terrible, terrible news like that? I mean, just had your world rocked by a medical report or a lawsuit or a foreclosure notice. I mean, for some of you, it's divorce papers, right? I mean, you, you get these divorce papers and you're like, really? Dude, I thought we were still talking. But you open the envelope up and there they are. After 27 years, this is how it's going to end, really? Or you got a business partner takes off with the money or a spouse takes off with the boss. Man, you ever been hit by news like that, like a sledgehammer? Did you know what it's like to realize in a split second that God is your only hope? There ain't no human A, plan A, plan B, plan C, plan D going to get you out of this mess. Either God's going to show up or do that as lights out. And that's where Hezekiah is. Now look what he does next. Look at his instinctive action. Hezekiah in chapter 19, verse 14, received the letter from the messengers and read it. And then he went up to the temple of the Lord and spread it out before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed. Now, friends, I love this verse because it trained me how to pray when I'm facing an impossible situation. He goes to the temple and lays that letter out before the Lord and says, God, you got to do something. You got to do something about this. Now, let's get trained here. Notice that life changing prayer usually happens in a particular place. Everybody say place. I'm sure Hezekiah, just like you and me, fired off prayers all day, every day, just like most of us do. You know, you see something, pray, hear something, pray, fear something, pray. But man, when he needs a solution to a specific problem, he's got a place, a specific place he goes to. He ain't praying about this in front of the wife and kids while they're running all over the house or praying at the office while everything's whirling around like a million miles an hour. Dude, he's got a place where he can go get quiet and get still and get real with the Lord. And for him, it was the temple was quiet, no distractions, only him and his only hope, the God he loves and he believes wants to hear from him. Now, you know, Matthew talks about this in the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew chapter six, Jesus said, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your father who is in secret, who is unseen, and then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, if you've ever seen the movie, The War Room, uh, which I hope you have. If you have not seen this movie, I recommend it to every one of us to see it today. There's a lady in this movie who has a prayer closet at her house. And man, it is a little room that she goes to where she prays life-changing prayers. And that's the place she goes to when she's got to get something done. And the reason she goes to that room is because of this verse. 
Because Jesus said, go to your closet, go to that little room where you will be unseen, and that's where you pray. Now, my lifelong friend and my ministry coach, uh, Alan Algram, told me this week, he reminded me this week that when Jesus said that, he was basically talking to people who lived in one-room houses. I mean, when you think about it, most of the people back in that day were poor people. They lived in a one-room house that had a bunch of family members and animals living in the same room for the most part. Hardly any of them would have like a walk-in closet they could go to and pray. So what is the point Jesus is making here? What is the point that Hezekiah is living here? Man, you need to have a place where you are comfortable focusing your heart and your mind on the one thing you need to pray a life-changing prayer about. You need to have a prayer place where you pray a lot. John Ortberg says he likes to pray in front of a window. He's got his chair set up in front of a window so he can look out on the world that God created. And lots of us do that. I have a prayer chair in my office that looks out of a window. And underneath that window is a playground full of kids. Next generation of compassion Christians, right? Being prepared to take their place in the kingdom of God. Just beyond that playground is the lake where we have, we have baptized hundreds of new believers into Christ. It is an inspiring view for me. I love to pray in that chair. In the New Testament, if you study the life of Jesus, he prays at the synagogue. That was a ha- habit for him. He prays at the temple. That was a good thing. But most of the time when he needs to get something done, he goes out in nature. I mean, he didn't go to a building to pray. He goes to the mountain. He goes to the water. He goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. Man, nature is apparently where he felt closest to the Father, and it should be because they both invented it. Amen? They created it. But listen, here's the training thing for us. If you want to pray life-changing prayers, man, you need to find a place, and you need to have a time where you regularly meet with the Lord. It's an appointment that you keep. Maybe it's a place where you can pull up another chair. An empty chair that sits beside you while you're praying. The chair might look empty, but it reminds you that it's not. You are not alone. Your Father in heaven is with you, no matter what's going on in your life. I would encourage you to find a time when you're at your best. If you're a morning person, pray in the morning. If your mind doesn't get sharp until about 5 o'clock in the afternoon, pray, pray in the evening, all right? But listen, five minutes with the Lord will be an improvement for many of us here today, I'm sad to say. Don't count the blessing over the meal. Five minutes talking with God. Everybody's got five minutes, morning, evening, whenever's best for you. Hezekiah had a place. And I'm telling you, if you have a time and a place where you habitually pray, your spiritual life is going to another level. So Hezekiah goes to his prayer place. He lays that letter out before the Lord so he can say, God, this is way too big for me. Dude, you got to help. And here comes the next training. Hezekiah teaches us that life-changing prayer usually follows a particular pattern. Everybody say pattern. Now notice how his prayer begins because the beginning part is fascinating to me in 2 Kings 19 verse 15. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord. Now you notice this word is capitalized? Not just capitalized, but all caps. This is how we translate the personal name of God into English. The Hebrew word is Yahweh. You know, Elohim is his title. Yahweh is his name. Hezekiah is talking to somebody he knows on a personal level. This is the name of God. Oh, Lord, God of Israel. There's his title. Enthroned between the cherubim. What's a cherubim? That's a particular kind of angel. So now now, uh, Hezekiah is imagining God in heaven on the throne, overseeing all that he has created, surrounded by the angels, 
You alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth, especially the Assyrian kingdom, where that maniac Sennacherib is in charge. You made the heaven and the earth. Man, what is he doing? He starts this prayer verbalizing the greatness of God. And if you learn to do this, it will change the way you approach prayer. Man, Hezekiah is not complimenting God because God likes to hear nice things said about him. Hezekiah begins his prayers in this way because it reminds him of who he's talking to. In a very real sense, Hezekiah is filling up his faith tank. Man, he is reminding himself how God great is, how great God is. And so he just starts saying, oh, Lord, my Lord, personal God, friend of mine, somebody I know, somebody who knows me, enthroned on high, you are the creator of, and the king of the universe. You are the one who is in control of every king, every kingdom. You have unlimited power. Hezekiah is reminding himself, filling his faith tank, Lord, you are my God. You spoke this world into being. You flung these stars into space and you love me. Surely you have the power to handle this two-bit sword-rattling Assyrian. Man, Hezekiah understands something that we all need to understand. There is a difference between a spiritual wish and a prayer. Prayer gets stuff done. Wishes don't. Prayers are based on faith. Hezekiah takes responsibility for filling up his own faith tank. Now listen, if you want to have prayers answered, there are conditions that have to be met for prayer to be answered positively. And I'm not going to talk about that today. We've talked about it before. If you want to know about it, ask any man in my D group. We just studied this this past week. If you're not in a small group, see what you're missing. But anyway, one of the conditions to answer prayer is that you have full faith and belief that your prayer will be answered. That's not the only condition, but it is one condition. Jesus said, therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it. Say it with me, everybody. Believe that you have received it. This is past tense. It's a done deal. Man, when you pray, you should pray with an assumption that this is going to get done. Now, friends, this prayer, this verse is in the middle of a list of conditions for answered prayer. So it does not mean that prayer is a blank check. I see some 20-year-olds out here. A a check is a piece of paper, you know, that you would write and blank again. It means ATM. That's it. It doesn't mean that prayer is an ATM where you put your little prayer card in and God's got to spit out the cash. It doesn't mean that. But what it does mean is if you don't believe with confidence that the answer is on the way, it won't be. You with me? Say, "Uh uh-huh. Man, when you pray, God may answer your prayer positively if it meets a certain number of conditions, which we can talk about sometime. But if you don't believe that he can answer your prayers, he won't. You know why? Because you don't believe it. And if he answered the prayer, you'd think it was luck. Confidence. Relational confidence is what he's looking for here. So you have to risk disappointment. To pray a life-changing prayer. Amen? That's what a lot of us are scared of. We're scared I'm going to pray and God's not going to come through and I'm going to be disappointed with him and I'm going to say prayer doesn't work and blah, 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 blah. Now listen, God answers every prayer. Amen? Amen. That's weak. God answers every prayer. Even if you don't believe it, be confident. God answers every prayer. Amen? Amen? Let me tell you how he answers every prayer. Some yes, some no. Is that an answer? Some wait. You're not mature enough yet. Some grow. You need to grow up a little bit more before I can trust you with this. 
I've answered my sons this way for every request they have ever given me. I've given them one of these four answers. And I love my sons. God gives me these answers because he loves his son too. He answers every prayer. Yes, no, wait, grow. Say it with me, everybody. Yes, no, wait, grow. So when you pray, you can get every, any one of those answers. And they are all answers. But if you don't believe that God can and will answer your prayer, the answer will always be no. Because you don't believe it. And he don't want you, you know, saying, well, I was just lucky when he showed up in your life. Now, <clears throat> we see Hezekiah starting his prayer off by filling up his, his faith tank. And, and this is a pattern that God really blesses. This is why I love to use the Acts acrostic when I pray. Now, the Acts acrostic, A-B-C, uh, A-C-T-S, is a great outline for prayer. The A stands for adoration. And this is where I fill my faith tank up by acknowledging God's greatness in my life, just like Hezekiah did. Oh, God, you are large and in charge, and you love me. That is so cool. Then the C stands for confession. Lord, I want to confess any sins that I'm conscious of that I know are hurting my relationship with you right now. Lord, I know I have this life-wrecking pattern in my life. I know if I do, it will affect my prayers. So, Lord, I want to confess it. I want to address it. I messed up yesterday. That's a great example of it. Let me ask you to forgive me. The T stands for thanksgiving. This is why I express my gratitude to God for all the many, many ways he has already blessed me already. I thank God that I've been saved, that I have spiritual gifts, that I get answered prayers, and I name some of those prayers. I thank God for my relationship with my wife, my kids, my grandkids, material blessings. Dude, we all got a lot to be thankful for. And then after all that, S stands for supplication. Lord, here's what I need. Here's what I think only you can handle. And I make requests for myself and for others so that God's power will be seen as present in my life. Now, friends, we are encouraged to ask and seek and not for ourselves. We are commanded to pray for other people. Maybe to get those blessings flowing in your life, what you need to do is start praying for other people, sow that seed, so that then you can reap what you've sown. Now, if you don't know who to pray for, let me tell you, one person you should always pray for every day, every time you pray, your pastor. You should pray for me by name every day because I need the prayer and you need to practice. Amen. So just, just always pray for me. Bless Pastor Cam. Help us here to start growing something like that. I don't care what it is. Just, you just pray for me. All right. And that way you'll be praying for other people and for yourself. Now, here's the great thing about using this acrostic. Dude, by the time you get to supplication, you know, where you're making requests for yourself and for other people, your heart is already full of faith because you've already, you know, you've already you know, acknowledge the greatness of God and your sins are addressed and confessed and forgiven and your mind, you know, has been filled and reminded with all the good things God has already done in your life. So of course now you pray with confidence about whatever is on your heart right now. Now, if you've never tried this, I strongly encourage you to fill your faith tank before you ask God for anything. It'll change the way you pray. Now let's get back to Hezekiah's prayer. His faith is focused and full. Look at verse 19. Oh, Lord. Now listen to the simplicity of this. Deliver us from the hand. Deliver us from his hand so that all the kingdoms of the earth will know that you are God. Hezekiah's prayer trains us to, once again, to do something that will change the way we pray. Life-changing prayer has a particular purpose. Now, friends, there's so much to be learned from just the first part of this prayer. He's in his prayer place, right? The letter is spread out before the Lord in the temple. The enemy king is stationed right outside the wall with 185,000 troops ready to kill everybody in that city. And so Hezekiah, he didn't pray this long, flowery prayer. He just tells the Lord what he needs. God, we in trouble. I need help. 
Now, Paul encourages us to do the same thing in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. This is a famous passage of scripture. Let's read it all together. Y'all ready? Big voice. Come on now. Do not be anxious. Stop. What does that mean? Don't worry. Don't waste any time worrying about stuff. Whatever you're worrying about, you're not trusting God for. So instead of worry, you should pray. Amen? Amen. On all of our campuses? Amen. All right, here we go. All together. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, Hezekiah does something in the 6th century B.C. that Paul teaches us to do in the 1st century A.D. that all of us should be doing in our century. Dude, just present your request to God. That's called a simple prayer. You just tell the Lord what's on your heart. That is the most common kind of prayer in the Bible. Now, let's talk for a minute about the power of these simple prayers. You know, the Acts acrostic is awesome. Man, that is a prayer strategy that you learn as you mature in Christ, and it makes your prayer stronger and stronger and stronger. But listen, anybody can pray a simple prayer. So let me train you to do this. First of all, got to get rid of the monkeys. Got to get rid of the monkeys. You know, I think it's harder for us to pray than any generation that has ever lived before us because our pace of life is so much faster and there are so many distractions. Henry Nouwen says, when we go to pray, thoughts jump around in our mind like monkeys jumping on a banana tree. And so when we start praying, it's important to take a few moments to let the monkeys settle down. Maybe just take a deep breath or two to, to make your mind slow down. Or maybe do this, take a deep breath and say, Heavenly Father, I need to talk to you. Try that with me one time. Deep breath. Heavenly Father, I need to talk with you. One more time. Come on now. Deep breath. Heavenly Father, I need to talk to you. And then just say what's on your heart. Not what you wish was on your heart. (laughs) You know, so many times we feel guilty. You know, because our mind is wandering or we haven't prayed for a long time or we feel guilty because I haven't talked to God since the last time I was in trouble or we think we're failing somehow. You know, C.S. Lewis said, lay before him what is in us, not what ought to be in us. You know, feeling guilty because you don't pray right or you don't pray well enough or long enough or often enough. Dude, that is a guilt stick that Satan uses to just beat you away from prayer. When you start feeling guilty about the way you pray, it's a guarantee you're not going to pray at all. Don't waste any time feeling guilty because your prayer life's not strong enough. Listen, if your mind keeps wandering all the time, maybe that wandering is showing you the very things you need to talk to God about. Maybe your mind is wandering to the things that you really need to talk to God about. You know, you're one of these uh, cell phone addicts and you got your little iWatch and it, it, it lights up and you're like, what, what? And, and you know, you can't, turn the phone, you can't turn the phone off because God knows you might get a text that you got to answer. And so, you know, you're constantly, you know, frantic like this. Maybe you ought to just say, God, I'm so stinking addicted to screens. I'm, I'm, like a, I'm like a monkey. Every time I see a peanut, I jump up and down when the light comes on. And I need to break this awful addiction. Maybe you can't pray because every time you get your eyes closed and you get quiet, you think of somebody you hate. And you start telling them what you would tell them if you ever got a chance to tell them. You, know, you, you always win that argument, right? Listen, maybe your heart's telling you you need to confess this hate and do something about that. Maybe those monkeys are trying to tell you what to pray about. So you can train yourself 
to use your imagination to focus. Now, if you engage your imagination, I mean, if you're struggling with prayer, maybe you need to start praying a different way. Now, at our staff retreat last week, we invested about 10 minutes in what we call imaginative prayer. And this is where you just calm down and take an imaginary trip into a house where you open the door and there's the Lord Jesus. And you walk through this room and this room to this room. And you sit down at the table and you tell him exactly what's on your mind. Now, we're not going to do that today because it would freak about half of y'all out, all right? Maybe it would. I don't know. But Pastor Harrison, boy, that's a good-looking pastor right there, isn't he? I bet he got a handsome daddy. Anyway, Harrison has put on... <laughs> that's Alzheimer's. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, you know, um, Harrison has put on the web an imaginative prayer experience. And you can literally go to this website and do it when you got it. Just text prayer to this number. And it should be in your program. If it's not in your program, take a picture of this screen quick. But if you text this number with the word prayer, it will take you to that video. And literally, you can participate in an imaginative prayer session today. And I would encourage you to do it this afternoon. Now listen, when you come to the Lord... You can't do it wrong if your heart is sincere. You don't have to pray a long time. You don't have to pray in some special way. You don't have to use a lot of flower language. Five minutes. Just five minutes. Tell the Lord what's on your heart. And you never know how he's going to answer that prayer because of the sovereignty of simple prayers. Now, sovereignty means that God may choose to do what you ask, to say yes to your prayer, but answer it in a way you would never have imagined. Tony Campolo tells a story of preaching at a Pentecostal college chapel one night. And eight pastors took him backstage to pray with him before the, the service started. So they said, would you mind kneeling so we can lay hands on you? And he's like, all right. And so he knelt down and those eight preachers put their hands on his head and just prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. And the longer they prayed, the tired they got and the more they leaned on his head, you know. And he's like, dude, you got eight preachers leaning on your head. That is not a blessing. I don't care what anybody says. That is not a blessing, right? And to make matters worse, one of the guys wasn't even praying for Tony. He was fixated on some guy named Charlie Stolfish. And he just kept praying, oh, God, ruler of heaven and earth, you know Charlie Stolfish. He lives right down the road, one mile from the church, on the right-hand side, in a little silver trailer. And Tony wanted to say, dude, God does not need directional information from you, all right? He knows where the guy lives, right? Oh, God, Charlie told me this morning he's going to leave his wife and his three kids. You need to do something about this, Lord. Step in somehow, God. Bring that family back together. Tony said when he finally got done, he got the preachers off his head. And he got to the chapel and delivered his message. And, you know, everything went great. And he got in his car to drive home. He got on the Pennsylvania Turnpike and he saw this hitchhiker. And he thought, sometimes I like to pick these guys up just to visit with them and that, keep them safe and all. So he picks this guy up. They rode for a few minutes and he says, hey, my name's Tony Campolo. What's your name? He said, Charlie Stolfus. He's like, what? He said, dude, I got off at the next exit, turned around, 180 degrees, taking him home. The guy got a little uneasy. He said, hey, where are you taking me, mister? He said, I'm taking you home. And the guy narrowed his eyes and said, why? He said, because you left your wife and three kids today, didn't you? Didn't you? And he said, dude, it just blew him away. He was hiding up against the wall over here like this. Shock all over his face, man. Never took his eyes off me. He said, I drove right to that joker's front door. The silver trailer, one mile from the church on the right-hand side. He said, how do you know where I live? He said, God told me. And God did. Amen? Come on now. Come on now. I think God did. 
He said he walked up to the door of that guy and that guy's wife opened the door and said, you're back, you're back. And they hugged and he whispered something in her ear about what had happened. And her eyes got wider and wider and wider, you know. And Tony went in with him and said, you two sit down. I'm going to talk. You're going to listen. And he said, brother, they listen. And he led both of those guys to Christ that afternoon. It was kind of awesome, right? Now, here's the thing. Yeah, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. You don't know how your prayers are going to be answered. Now, they generally won't be answered that dramatically, all right? But you don't know if you don't pray. So pray about what's on your heart. Pray believing that there's a big God who's large and in charge, who can do things that you can't imagine in ways you could never predict. But it all starts, boom, when you start praying. Now, friends, this is important because of the point of simple prayers. I want to show you something that I discovered in this prayer that I have never seen before. So, friends, as usual, we are all learning every time we open the Word of God. Amen? Look at verse 19. Now, O Lord, deliver us from his hand so that, everybody say, so that, all the kingdoms on earth will know that you are God. Now, friends, this is a bold, confident, audacious prayer Considering the fact that Sennacherib is sitting outside the city with 185,000 warriors ready to attack. But when I saw these two words, dude, that hit me like a ton of bricks. Lord, deliver us from this evil king so that they will know, we will know, the world will know that you alone are God. Why is he praying? What's his purpose? So that the world will know that there is a God in this world, the only one who can save. Man, listen, look at what Hezekiah does not pray for. He doesn't say, oh, God, deliver us from this murderous king so that I can keep my job. Lord, deliver us from this king so I don't lose any perks. I don't want to lose Air Force One. I don't want to lose Camp David. He's not praying about that. God, deliver us from this attacking enemy so I don't look like a failure. And I have to walk around with my family like I'm a loser or something for the rest of my life. He doesn't even pray, God, deliver us from this evil king so that my wife and my kids won't get killed, which would be a legitimate prayer. There is a clear purpose to Hezekiah's prayer. Deliver us so that, say it, so that. Your fame will spread. More people will believe in you. More people will respect you. More people will be curious about you. That the answer to my prayer will draw people to you, Lord, so that all the kingdoms of the earth will know that you alone are God. Friends, if you want to see your yes rate in prayer go up, want to start making requests that honor God, that somehow bring glory to God. You know, James, the brother of Jesus, said, you know, when you ask... Very often you get a no because you ask with the wrong motives. I mean, all you pray about is stuff that you can spend in your own selfish pleasures. And I hate to be the one to tell you, but God ain't your butler. And he's not mine either. Amen? He's not your ATM machine. He's not your Make-A-Wish Foundation. He's God. He doesn't work for us. We work for him. Amen? Listen, God's chief goal is not to make you wealthy, happy, thin, or, 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 or bald so you'll be beautiful, right? His chief goal is to conform us to the image of his son, Jesus. God's chief goal is to form Christ in us until we grow up to become strong men and women of faith. Amen? Listen, God's chief goal is to shape us and mold us and set us apart and engage us fully in his grand vision for redeeming this world. And that's what God is about in this world. And if you want to see prayers answered, you fit them into that agenda. Hezekiah got this. 
Lord, deliver us from this attack so that every kingdom on planet earth will know that you alone are God. Friends, if those two words, so that, became the filter for your prayers, the quality, the intelligence, and the power of your prayers would dramatically increase. Man, if every request is so that, God will be lifted up. Man, those are prayers he wants to answer. Now, that's a humbling thing. When you start trying to fit all your prayers through that filter, you realize you're kind of a spoiled brat who wants a sugar daddy in heaven. When the reality is, he's looking for noble sons and daughters on earth. And if you start praying through that filter, you're going to see stuff happening. Dude, can you imagine if you pray, Lord, help me at work today? So that everybody who's wondering if a Christ follower can play at the highest levels in this organization will realize that we play better than everybody else because we're Christians. And that'll give me an opportunity to lead people to you. You think God would answer that prayer? I certainly do. But Cam, you don't know where I work. Hey, we're talking about doing things you cannot do in your own strength. Amen. Don't underestimate the Lord. God, give the surgeon's unusual skill tomorrow as I go into this knife. So that I can return to full health and full service for your purposes until I finally die. God, I would like to be restored so that my healing will give you glory. Parents, God, bring my 22-year-old son back to his faith so that I don't have to worry about, so I don't have to bail him out of jail anymore. So I, 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 wait, stop. Lord, bring my 22-year-old son back to faith so that he, for the first time in his life, will feel secure in your love and start living a life that will bring you glory grandparents. Oh, by the way, did I mention I had a new grandbaby on Wednesday night? Oh, I know. I know. That's little Samuel. He's super boy. So blessed. What should I pray for this boy? I I prayed for him the night he was born in the hospital. What do you pray for your kids? Oh God, this is what I pray. Protect this boy so that he will grow up and come to understand the gospel and receive it and be saved and take his place as a leader in the kingdom of God, whatever that means, as a lawyer, as a doctor, as a welder, as a mail delivery guy, whatever, that he will take his place as a leader in your kingdom. Is that what you're praying for your kids? Lord, bless them so that they'll make a difference for you. What about our church? God, just keep pouring your power and your favor on our church so that people who are far from you will just shake their heads in amazement at the love they experience here, the truth they find here, and be drawn to seek you and someday find you here. Man, if we start praying so that God will be known because of the answer of our prayers, man, miracles might start happening. All right, Hezekiah is in his place of prayer. He's praying a simple prayer for a noble purpose. And then he learns that life-changing prayer usually results in a particular kind of power and peace. Guess what happens as soon as he says amen? He prays his prayer in the temple, says amen. I'm not going to read the whole story to you, but you can read it. I'll give you the condensed version. He says amen, knock on the door, opens the door. Prophet Isaiah is there. Isaiah says, Hezekiah, I I have a word for you from the Lord. He said, so what did God say? He said, God said... I got this. Huh? He said, I got this. What does that mean? Well, I think it means don't worry about this anymore because he got this. (laughs) Now, that's not actually what he said. He said a lot. All right. But in verse 31, we get the executive summary. Isaiah says, the zeal of the almighty will accomplish this. 
He says, Hezekiah, this is going to be one of those rare cases where you don't have to do a thing, old son. You just sit back and watch my power at work in response to your prayers. And verse 35 says, that night the angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 men in the Assyrian camp. 180,000 terrorists, insurgents, God-haters, rapers, murderers put to death by the angel of the Lord in the Assyrian camp. And Sennacherib, the king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew. God sent one angel, not a hundred angels, not a hundred thousand angels. He sent one angel into that enemy camp, decimated the entire Assyrian army, neutralized the threat to his people, his values, his temple, his faith, his family. And the story ends with a, a rumor that starts circulating through all the kings and all the kingdoms of that day. All the pagan kings are communicating with each other. You know what they're saying? You know, there's really only one true God in this world. And he is crazy powerful. He killed 185,000 Assyrians one night. Nobody heard a gun go off. Nobody heard a boast saying, nobody knows how it happened, dot, dot, dot. And Hezekiah is his friend. There's one God that can do unexplainable things, dot, dot, dot. And Hezekiah is his friend. There's one God who shows up and neutralizes threats, dot, dot, dot. And Hezekiah is his friend. So maybe we should leave Hezekiah alone for a little while because he and God are like that. And because of his God, Hezekiah was able to do what he just couldn't do. Imagine what would happen. Imagine what we would be able to do if we started giving the Lord just the first five minutes of the day, every day, and prayed a prayer so that he will be glorified in me and the whole world will know that what's happening in my life is because of the Lord. Father, thank you. Thank you for this story. Thank you for this reminder that, Lord, we don't pray to some distant monarch. We pray to someone who knows us by name, somebody that we know by name. And I pray, God, that if there's anybody here today who does not know you by name, that today they will come and give their lives to Jesus. And I pray this in the strong name of Jesus. And all God's people said, amen, amen, amen. amen.